Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Selecki. And I'm PJ Doran. And this week we have the winner of both Twins Cup races at Road America this past weekend, Caleb D. Carell, and former rider and motocross racing professional, Dale Spangler. Pit Pass Moto is sponsored by Moto America, America's road racing organization. And we're on the heels of a wonderful weekend, Dave. So can't wait to talk about and two winners of races. They were forced to hold without fans. They still put on one heck of a show. If you got to watch it, I watched live on uh, their wonderful internet streaming option, uh, Moto America Live Plus. And the coverage could not have been better. It was like a postcard, uh, as they say, the... Uh, what is it? The Visitors Bureau would be happy or the Convention Bureau would be happy about the weather we had. Oh, it's picture perfect. And I'll tell you what, for those that didn't have the package, the updates and feeds that Moto America puts out on social media are really awesome. Just check out Facebook and they'll give you updates constantly throughout the day. You can check out that night and see all the race highlights. Yep, and there was, as I understand, there was coverage on other channels I didn't watch because I have that wonderful, as I said, Moto America Live Plus. Uh, I've purchased that, and it's the best value ever. I was watching racing from 8 a.m. I saw the corner workers going out and setting down their lunch pails. It was as if I was there, as close as one can get. Yep, as close as one can get. MotoAmerica.com has all that info as well. Go out and check it out. This weekend's races were amazing. We're going to talk about them. Dave, what happened in Supercross and the off-road world this weekend? Oh, the big news. Supercross is back. So they're going to put seven races in 21 days, the first of which was Sunday night. Actually, Sunday afternoon, I should say. So it was a daytime Supercross. And really, it was uh, it was great to see racing happening again. Also, Sands uh, spectators, same as road racing. But they did pull it off. And we saw two great main events. 450 class was was really awesome. Eli Tomac bringing home the win. He just looked unstoppable out there on a, what I thought was a really tough track because it was dried and dusty and slippery and he made the best of it, just was aggressive. Defending champ Cooper Webb came home second and Ken Roxon followed out the podium on third. So really a great race, not much carnage. AC9 went down early in the race, but uh, that was the, the most of the 450 class and the 250 class. Shane McElrath, wire-to-wire win, pulls a whole shot, disappears. Chase Sexton gave him a little bit of a battle, came in second, followed by Garrett Marchbanks in third. So that 
pretty much was the podium in Supercross and 250 East. Some great racing. Did you happen to catch any of that, PJ? I caught the highlights quite literally, and that was it. It was a really was a road racing weekend for me, so our true proclivities show through. I had live racing to watch Saturday and Sunday, and I really focused on it. I'll hit the highlights there as long as we're talking about Road America, the first uh, race back for our Moto America series. It's also going to be the next one. The highlights were in Superbike, Bobier yet again picks up where he left off, does the double. Gagne, Skoltz, Heron, the likes of them were giving him challenges and keeping him honest, but Cam Bobier continues to be uh, at the front of the field. Big news of the weekend in that class. Tony Elias, Tony Sunglasses as we call him, the top dog rider for Suzuki DNF both races. That is kind of unheard of for Mr. Elias and puts him in a bit of a hole. It'll be interesting to see how he comes back in the super sport world. The 600s yet another double happens. Uh, Escalante absolutely crushes it. Brandon passion race one gave uh, Mr. Escalante a, a bit of a challenge, but Escalante prevailed Brandon Pash then unfortunately was DQ'd in race two. There was a bit of drama at the track. He was 3.3 pounds under at Park Ferme after the race, so sadly was DQ'd. Sean Dillon Kelly came second in race two. In the Twins Cup, yet another double. We're sensing a hint here. Everybody who was fast at the front stayed fast at the front. It'll be our first interview of today. Jacob DeCarroll, congratulations to him, wins both Twins Cup races and in the Junior Cup, it is an absolute sweep. Of every winner was a double. Dominic Doyle does the double in the Junior Cup class uh, with Rocco Landers giving him an actual run for it. Rocco is also uh, running in the Twins Cup class. So Rocco Landers made all four podiums. I, that's got to be some kind of record. Two classes, two days, he was on the podium four times, which is amazing for one Rocco Landers. I look forward to talking to that guy again soon. So there's the results on the weekend. We'll talk more about it when we get Caleb on with us shortly. Absolutely awesome raising this weekend. Weren't there other records being made? I saw some lap records that were just absolutely amazing. Absolutely. There were there were top speed records were being set. Uh, there, there were a number of things, and... I'm still soaking it all in, Dave. I'll tell you, I was a little <laughs> bit, little bit overwhelmed as we discussed briefly off air. I, it was as if we were at the track. Tommy Boy Halverson was here, reminding us when the actual races were kicking off. Hey, turn off the music, put the race back on. It's actually happening now, and there was a whole bunch of fun being had. It was again as close as we could get to being in the campground in Wisconsin without actually being there, uh, including all the stupid campfire tricks that are known to happen around our campsite. We pulled those off as well here in the backyard in Des Moines, Iowa. How awesome is that? Some great racing and uh, some records set and just, just an awesome racing weekend. All right, this week's Pit Pass Trivia Question of the Week is name the first mass-produced motorcycle brand, model, and year that featured fuel injection as a means of fuel delivery. More on that coming up later. So glad to have amazing racer and now two-time winner at Road America, Caleb DeCarroll. Did I say your name right first, Caleb? I, I ask every time to make sure I'm not butchering it. Yeah, yeah, no, you got it. 
Killer. Well, congratulations again on your spectacular weekend. You were, uh, I watched the races live and have watched both of them multiple times already in replay. Man, you seem to have it over, everybody. You really were killing it out there. What, what made the difference for you this weekend? And congratulations. I've been working really hard in the in the off season. Been training my butt off and and trying to do everything I can to to better myself for the start of the season. And we really have put together a a great crew just to to start the year off with. And uh, the team was gelling really well right off the bat. This was kind of the first time, you know. Well, obviously for probably a lot of teams, you know, you know, new people coming in and stuff like that. So it's kind of the first first go at things and the team was was gelling really well the 1833 cj knows race team cj put together a great team it really helped me with a little bit of extra confidence just knowing that i had really good people behind me and uh, uh the bike obviously was running really well this weekend so uh it just kind of all came together i guess <laughs> yeah it seemed like uh caleb your bike uh, would you would you agree? I mean, it was a draft battle, and that race to finish was amazing. Rocco Landers first to third out of the last corner with you drafting for the for the win. And to be honest, Jackson Blackman was coming. If it had been a hundred feet, I'm sure you've seen the replay. Uh, he could have easily gotten a double draft. So kudos to you for hanging on all the way to the line. Yeah, and honestly, I uh, I got a really good start in the second race, and I I had no idea I didn't I didn't have a pit board this weekend, so I had no idea. I knew Rocco was back there, obviously, because he passed me the the one time, and I figured he was close, and uh, he passed me a couple times, so I knew he was there, but I honestly had no idea that Jackson was even there when I set up my uh, last lap. Actually, I didn't even expect that Rocco was going to get me going into Canada Corner. I figured he would just let me lead out onto the out onto the straightaway, and then those two would double draft and, and try and get me. But um, he passed me going into Canada, and I'm like, "Huh, okay." Now I'm, you know, I'm kind of thinking all this as this is playing out, and and I'm like, "Well, I really got to figure out." Uh, I basically just got to hang hang on tight right behind him all the way up through uh, the, the left-hander and then back for the, the right-hander before uh, the finish line and uh, stay as close as I can and um, be perfect. And I passed them a little too early coming up the hill because when you, when you do that, you lose a lot of speed because uh, – or like when they, you give him an opportunity to get back behind you and then, and then there's also – there's like a, quite a bit – of distance to the to the finish line so there's another chance for him to get behind you and then draft you to the finish line so and then obviously you saw with uh with uh jackson blackman there double drafting is is huge i mean you can really slingshot up there so but that's that's road america man that's what makes road america fun the long straightaways and drafting and being in the slipstream so it's just uh yeah, I mean, ultimately, it was just really fun racing all the way around this weekend. So had some fun battles. It was it was a good weekend for sure. Yeah, it looked like uh, Rocco. Either he legitimately had a bobble at the last corner. He got out a little wide on the on the rumble strip. I don't know if that, but it looked like he had a bobble. And in the back of my back of my head, I was thinking, or did he just game? Did he game Caleb into the front? You know, because we've seen that at Daytona many a time, guys act like they had a bobble but really they're just letting you lead so they can draft you out of the last corner he definitely um i don't know he got on the throttle a little bit early uh, on the exit and and ran a little wide 
and I think he was doing all he could to keep it from from going in the grass. And he went over the rumble, and then when you get out there, there's um, you know, the pavement's dirty or or whatever, and uh, you lose your drive. Kind of lost traction a little bit on the, you know, on that dirty stuff or whatever. And uh, but either way, he made that bobble, and you know, I was trying to be right on his tail. And then uh, when he made that bobble, it kind of made me like like almost check up so i you know i luckily i wasn't super close otherwise you know i would have had to let off but i i played it just the best that i could and uh it ended up working out so but it was uh it was a lot of fun that's for sure and it made it exciting racing for everybody watching on the moto america live plus so that was uh that was good i had a bunch of family i'm i'm from minnesota so this is kind of like my home race because it's the closest track that we go to so there's a lot of people screaming and sending me videos and it was really cool so all the excitement you know it's it's got to be interesting uh the whole world's watching this as i'm sure you're aware because this is the first of its type event to come back and now everybody else is going to want to take lessons that hopefully Moto America and you racers and the organization and the track workers all got from how do we do this going forward. What was your takeaways? I mean, was it an enjoyable weekend for a racer when there wasn't a fan group around? Yeah, it was different for sure. Just because, um, you know, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I looked at it as, you know, like when I was on the cool lap and everything and, and obviously just, you know, there was still people watching online. So, but yeah, the fact that there was nobody in the stands, like I knew there was people watching on, on the cameras and stuff, but, um, but yeah, not, not having fans there. It kind of, I don't know. It was a different atmosphere. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, with the, when the fans are there and, and you do autographs and yeah, it was definitely different. That's for sure. I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, but yeah, there's a, there's a vibe. Yeah, I was going to say, Caleb, I, or ask you, actually. Um, I mean, a racer is used to a routine. When you show up at the racetrack, you do things in this order. And after many years of doing what you do, I'm sure there's that set routine when you have the autograph signings and interaction with the fans. How's that feel? That's the thing that changed, right? So your routine's not the same. How how did that work for you? Obviously, you were successful over the weekend, but how did that feel for you? We had a lot of stuff going on this weekend too, just because it's the first round and I hadn't ridden that bike since Barber. So as far as the structure of the weekend, it was kind of this, the same as it would be. And uh, actually, we, we weren't even supposed to have two races originally. But then with the change of schedule and obviously the COVID-19 and the pandemic and all that with the schedule change, we ended up having two races this weekend, the doubleheader. So it was pretty similar because that, you know, we were, we were trying to get things set up. We were, you know, we were uh, trying to make the bike as good as we could. And we only had, we had kind of limited track time just because, uh, you know, you get one practice and then after that one practice, which is like roughly eight laps, you, you know, it's qualifying. So it's, it's time to, to show up and make it happen. I guess what I'm saying is, is the weekend was still a very fast pace and there was still a lot of stuff going on. But obviously, it's a lot better when the when the fans are there cheering you on, you know, hanging out and getting to see the show. But, you know, in June, they'll be able to come out and hang out. And um, I'm I'm kind of glad they're doing two Road Americas just because, uh, you know, my family can come out and, and check out the races uh, this next month. So 
it's cool that they're giving the people up in this area because we don't come up to this area very much. So it's cool that they're giving them a chance to, uh, or they're doing two. So they, that way they can come out and check it out. And I know there was probably a lot more people watching online because I believe we're the first motorcycle form of racing to be back going. And I think Supercross was this weekend too, but, but either way, I'm just happy to be back racing and, and happy that the, the season kicked off. And, uh, it was just a lot of fun to be back out there, you know? And you had some real battles. Yeah, you don't have the the crazy fans, a la me and our crew, begging for wheelies <laughs> on the cool-down lap, uh, banging on the fence at you. But you'll get that at the end of the month. We'll be there. Uh, I know my crew will be there, and I'm, I'll be completely surprised if that event is not a big-time packed event because we're – we're taking the chilly weather out of it. I've never been there at that time of year, actually, but it's it yeah. fall, it's a month later. It's we're not going to have the see your breath in the morning rain day, even <laughs> if it, even if it rains, it won't be a terrible deal, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's road America. You never know. And honestly, I think we got really probably really lucky this weekend that we had. I mean, we had beautiful weather all weekend. It was it was a little chilly, but I mean sunny and uh i think it was like 65 roughly anyways it was uh about as good as weekend as you as you could get for uh, as far as weather wise so it was that made it really fun too so yeah there were a lot of uh a lot of records being set you know they mentioned it you guys probably wouldn't know at the time while you're on the track but uh, with moto america live plus and their infinite ability to come up with information they were in multiple classes talking about, you know, these are record setting lap times that are happening. The track must've been really good for you. Yeah. Yeah. The track was, the track was really good. I guess I, I didn't really know this until the weekend too, but they were saying, uh, I didn't even know that the, the bikes, I guess, run better when it's, when it's a little bit cooler out. The track had really good grip, even though it was a little bit colder out. So the track temp and it was sunny. So the track temp was good and the cooler weather made the bikes run better, I guess. And that's why I think we saw a lot of track records getting broken this weekend. What it is, is that colder air makes horsepower. So that's, I think, uh, I think it showed up in the results, whether that helps traction or not, I don't know. But uh, as far as horsepower coming out of the engine, colder air is definitely more desirable. Yeah, for sure. So it was interesting because it was colder. You would think the cooler temperatures would um, would make the track surface, you know, a little bit slick. But honestly, I went out and uh, we had a quick warm up. We only got three laps before that second race in the morning at like 9 a.m. We went out and, uh, you know, I was expecting just to go out and I was expecting the track to be a little bit slicker because it was like 10 degrees cooler than it had been. But I went out and I was like really surprised, like the track seemed like it had the uh the same amount of grip as when it you know as when the air was was 10 degrees warmer so i guess it was just a you know it was uh a, a perfect mixture for uh you know putting out good lap times because the track temp was uh you know hot enough for the tires to be good and and sticky and then the the cooler air made the bikes run fast so it was an awesome weekend it was it was a lot of fun and i mean honestly it was just really good to get the season rolling there was so much uncertainty there for a while with everything that's been going on and you know as a rider you're you're training your butt off all all off season doing everything you can to be ready and then there was almost this weird period where you didn't know when or what you were getting ready for type of thing because there wasn't any real clarity on when when we were going to get back racing so it was just awesome to get back out there and i hope uh hope the fans enjoyed it watching uh 
online and and i really hope they can that people can make it out to uh road america here in a month so well we're definitely gonna do it for sure caleb can't wait to see you out there and now you've got what one might call a commanding lead in a series uh championship so <laughs> cheers to you on that um we're nearing the end of our time. I want to give you a chance, as we often do, to thank any of your sponsors, anybody in particular you want to thank. Now be the time, and we, we really appreciate you coming on with us uh, following your great weekend. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for having me on, first and foremost. And uh, I got to give a huge thank you to uh, 1833 CJ Knows. He's the one who basically put all this together for me, and, um, and I wouldn't be out there without him, uh, without CJ Zaya putting this all together and and making it all happen and uh roaring toys they're the guys that built my bike they had the bike running awesome this weekend bell helmets uh mass leathers i gotta thank my crew guys they worked their butts off this weekend and uh yeah my girlfriend did a ton of work this weekend and also my my buddy garrett gruloff he he was there making sure i was hitting hitting my lines right and and uh, we would go through some footage and stuff to uh if he saw something, he would, he would kind of say, Hey, you know, maybe try this or do this. And, and, uh, that was a huge help uh, as well. So I got a lot of good people in my corner and, uh, yeah, I'm ready to, to keep rolling through this championship. So thank you guys for having me on and, uh, hope to see you guys at the next one. Thanks to our guest, Caleb DeCarroll, amazing road racer from Moto America. Next up, we're going to have Dale Spangler. Look forward to talking to him on Pit Pass. But first is this week's Pit Pass trivia question of the week answer. But let me read the question back one more time. Name the first mass-produced motorcycle brand, model, and year that featured fuel injection as a means to fuel delivery. The answer is the 1980 Kawasaki Z1000H. That was the first production model. There were many that followed not too long after that, PJ. Absolutely. They were, quite honestly, it was a coup, if you ask me, to get to market with fuel injection ahead of Honda, the notorious engineering powerhouse that is Honda. It was the case even in the, as early as the the early 70s, so by the 1980 model year, because within two years, Honda had a fuel-injected turbocharged, you know, spaceship called the CX-500 and the CX-650. It still amazes me to this day that Kawasaki managed to uh, pip Honda with that uh, technology to the market ahead of them. Coming up next on Pit Pass Moto is a longtime industry veteran, a guy I've known for a long time and raced with over the years, uh, Dale Spangler, who is a uh, marketing professional in the industry. And he's worn a lot of hats and he's also a former racer. So how's things going out there, Dale? Going well. Just kind of hanging out, trying to keep myself busy. Um, been doing some writing projects here and there, enjoying the spring weather and working on the backyard, uh, like probably a lot of people. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, just just uh, kind of dealing with these crazy times we're in right now. Not just power sports, of course, everybody. Yeah, and that's kind of where we see it and feel it everywhere that uh, the industry's kind of on a pause mode right now. And I always like to ask the industry guys, you know, kind of if COVID wasn't happening at the moment, where did you see the industry heading? How are things going? Was the industry heading up? Was the industry flat? Was the industry down? Really, what's your gut tell you? I think 
you know, with this COVID thing, it kind of throws a monkey wrench into all predictions, but where do you see things settling? I mean, is it is it strong right now, do you think? I mean, I think it's coming back. You know, I, I feel like it would have been a very strong year for power sports in general, whether it's, you know, obviously there's different segments. There's things like UTV that are seem to be growing and growing right now. That, that segment just seemed like they're just can't get enough of that segment. You know, like I think I listened to one of your shows with, um, I don't know if it was the Brock Sellards one, but you guys were talking about how that segment is just crazy how it's going right now. And overall, I feel like the industry was, kind of headed in the right direction. I know my employer, Tucker, like we were having a pretty good spring. You had a great Tucker show coming out of January. Felt like we were doing everything right. And then, yeah, then the COVID thing hit. And I think everybody's just trying to figure out what to do now. But I have heard some pretty positive feedback from, you know, dealers are starting to kind of figure out the the best way to, to conduct business now. You know, I'm seeing OEMs step up and do, you know, delivery of new models to, customers so i think the industry overall is it'll adapt you know and i read this great article the other day that talked about how you know maybe now with all of this covid going on and the social distancing maybe there will be more people that buy street bikes and start commuting because they'll start to see the benefits of of uh you know being able to i wish more states had lane splitting but you know the benefits of being able to be social distanced but at the same time it's just a lot more you know relaxing way to commute than sitting in a car for hours and backed up in traffic. So I don't know. We'll, we'll obviously only time will tell, but um, I kind of feel like there's a there's a possibility that the industry could come back even stronger if you know the, the pieces fall into place. I kind of agree. I think you know people are pent up and they want to get out and do things, and it's one of those things like you said you can do solo. You know, you're not next to somebody or six feet away or more. And uh, I was actually at the racetrack a couple weekends ago, and and, and I wasn't 20 feet was about as close as I got to anybody. I was closer to people on the track than I was in the pits. So it's, you know, it's one of those situations yeah. where I think it's actually fairly safe to, you know, to be out there doing it, not even, you know, calculating in uh, street riding, which is a whole nother animal. So I kind of agree. I think maybe this could be in some strange way, you know, beneficial to the industry and in power sports in general. You know, I guess, like you said, time will tell. You've documented and talked about a lot of things in the industry over the years, and you you keep a website where you can you can uh, share your thoughts on things and talk about that. Talk about Dirt Buzz and and what you're doing there. Yeah, Dirt Buzz is something I started. I guess it was 2015 now. So yeah, it's been like crazy. It's been five years since I started that, but it was kind of a side project that I just, you know, I felt felt like I needed a creative outlet. You know, to be able to being in the industry so long, it's. You know, there's that saying, like, if you get out of the industry, you end up riding more. But, you know, like, it's kind of like being in the industry sometimes, I feel like I don't I don't spend enough time taking my personal thoughts in my head and putting them down on paper. So that was kind of what the reason for Dirt Buzz. And I felt like off-road was being ignored a little bit. You know, moto always, motocross always seems to get all the attention and the limelight. And so I focused on off-road with Dirt Buzz, and it got a pretty good following. And then once I got my job at Tucker Power Sports, I've been doing a lot more writing there, so Dirt Buzz kind of sort of got neglected a little bit, but uh, I've kind of brought it back now that I'm on on this downtime being on furlough, and and so um, yeah, kind of resurrected. But it's it's a great outlet for me to be able to kind of share my experience. And shoot, I'm going on I think I'm going on 28 years now in the industry, 
Actually, I listened to your podcast the other day about the with Jay Clark, and I was like, him and I are almost exactly on the same timeline. Like he, it was '93 when I went to work for Comedic Gasket there in the Menor, and so like he was, I think he said he was '93 when he went to work for Weisco. So it was a very yeah. similar path. So we've been both been around for quite a while. Definitely an industry veteran for sure. And uh, I, Dirt Buzz was just fascinating to me because it's uh, the word I like to use when I look at your website is eclectic, because it's a good mix of you talk about riding, you talk about bikes, you talk about all of that, that lifestyle, but you throw in some beer and you throw in some music and some thoughts there. So your T-shirt was an inspiration from a post-punk band from the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Talk about the inspiration for that T-shirt. Yeah, it was a, it's the Joy Division, Unknown Pleasures, you know, that classic kind of iconic T-shirt and I work with my friend Jerry Bernardo, who lives over in Australia now. You know the former uh, Motor World Two announcer and or a TV personality. And funny, funny story. Side note on that: we just put out a a piece. Uh, I guess it was last week, last Wednesday. That was a uh, that's like six thousand word kind of long form piece about that Jerry's sharing him and some of his cameramen. They shared some of their behind the scenes experiences. So it's pretty, it's pretty fun. You know, like that's what you're saying, like the eclectic mix because. I do like to kind of mix things up. I feel like I call it the trilogy of buzz, you know, beer, music, and motorcycles, you know, like to me, those things all kind of give you the similar, a similar rush and a good feeling. And so that's kind of what was my outlook when I, you know, included those different aspects into, into dirt buzz. And I kind of consider it an open forum. So anybody who ever wants to write and put something on my site, I'm happy to, you know, post it up and share it there and give them a, a voice to be able to, you know, just kind of get their word out there. It doesn't have a huge following, and that really wasn't my point when I went into it. You know, I, at first I was thinking I was going to try and make it into something where I would have advertisers, and then, then I got to the point where I'm like, you know, I just I don't even feel right about. It. I have all these friends in the industry, and I just didn't feel right calling them up and asking for money. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so I just kind of like left it. It is what it is, and you know, like it gave me the opportunity to practice writing more, and so it's really helped me in my job the last couple of years. Is you know, there's that. Uh, I think Malcolm Gladwell had a in one of his books he called it the 10,000 hour rule and so I kind of feel like that's where I'm at with writing you know like I've done it through the years I went went and got an English degree back in 2007 but really didn't have an opportunity to use it that much you know unless I was writing a press release or something like that when I'm working but now lately I've been able to do a lot more creative writing and that to me is what I love to to share I love to share people's stories behind the scenes just did another recent piece with a um, an athlete that's sponsored by Tucker he's a para-athlete he was an x games snow bike racer and so i did a story on him and just kind of shared his story i know people like that sometimes just don't get a lot of attention and so i just like to tell interesting stories and so you know like when it was to go back to the jay clark thing like he's he's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where he was more on the technical side you know he's bringing all that technical aspect to the to the forefront where i'm, I'm trying to tell more lifestyle stories and so that's just what interests me being able to do that day-to-day in my job has been a blessing for sure. I, I just love that type of content creation. Yeah, and that's what you've done. You've built that history and you built that content, but at the same time, you've got a, a sounding board or a pressure relief valve, I guess, to to kind of let it all out. And there's an article you wrote years ago that I always, I always like to share with people, people who don't understand racers or the mentality or the mindset or, or lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. But uh, the article that you wrote was once a racer, always a racer. And that article always resonated with me as a as a good way to kind of describe what our mindset is 
as racers, because I think you explain it pretty well in the, in the article is we're hardwired this way and we're never going to change. <laughs> and that's, uh, I think the, uh, the bottom line of the story maybe, but I mean, you could talk more about it obviously cause you wrote it, but, uh, that's my takeaway from that is, uh, you know, you're hardwired to be this way and you're never, ever going to be any other way. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really matter what it is. We kind of like, once you kind of have that racer mentality, it's, you kind of tend to do everything that way, you know, like you're, you tend to be all in when I to go back to when I went to college, you know, I was 30, 30 something years old when I went to Boise state and did the, you know, went, got a four year degree and paid for it myself and put that pressure on myself to succeed and, you know, graduated with a pretty high GPA. And so it was just, it's just one of those things like you, you go about everything you do that way. You know, like if I'm going to build a piece of content for my employer, I want to give it everything I, I can to do the best job I can. And so it's just, yeah, it's, it's just like a mentality you get from being a racer where I feel like I probably wouldn't have the drive I have right now if it wasn't for that. Yeah. And I, it comes across and, uh, you know, going, going back in time for you, you started out as a racer. I remember, you know, watching you in the eighties and then you graduated up through the ranks, you know, and eventually went pro and you were a pretty well-known pro. You rode for some big teams of all of those years. And I know you spent a lot of time on the road. You spent a lot of time with your dad, a real great guy. I remember him well. Um, what was uh, probably one of your best racing memories from all those years? I don't know. For me, I think probably my best memory, just because it did include my entire family. You know, like later when I got my turn pro, it was more me and, you know, some buddies going on the road. And, you know, my dad, mom and dad were at home. And, of course, my dad ended up passing away in 97. But but before that, you know, it was, I'd say the 1987 Loretta Lens. Gosh, I'm really showing my age now when I say that. This seems so long ago now. But that was my year that I just felt like everything clicked. You know, I was probably the most fit I ever was in my life and went down there. And I think they had like a, they had some kind of 5K that was before the Loretta Lens even started a couple days before. And I went and I won that. And then I went out and I got a third in 125A and like fifth in 250A. And it was just, everything seemed to click that year. And then I had a bunch of momentum going into the, to the next year when I turned pro. And so I, I don't know that that memory. Loretta Lynn's is always just one of those places that have so many good family memories. You know, a lot of people from old, from Painesville there back in Ohio, like would ton of us would be there. There's Scotts and the Borises and you know probably people I'm sure you remember Dave and oh yeah. And so it's uh, I just have a lot of fond memories down there. Even though you go down there and sweat your ass off for <laughs> a week, you know when you went there, you you know you were one of the top athletes, the top racers, and so you just it just was a kind of a a pride thing, I guess, you know, when you went down there, it was knew you were part of the cream of the crop, I guess, during that year. So Dale, what, uh, you mentioned you're, uh, currently on a furlough and, uh, we're hoping along with everyone else, you get to go right back to work. What are the, what's it looking like from your employer? I work in a dealership, so I have my own perspective on this. We're having what feels like a banner year that I cannot in any way explain. Uh, and I don't, are you hearing things of that nature from other dealers or from your, from, from the parent company? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're getting close to where, uh, some, some people actually did go back to work on the, on the 1st of May and they're just kind of slowly bringing people back. And, um, yeah, from what I understand, things are starting to pick back up again. And, and like you said, you know, there's just, there's a lot of dealers that have kind of figured out a formula, a, a workaround, so to speak, to, to actually be doing you know, better than they've ever had. Some, some people are saying they're having some of the best months they've had in, in years. 
And I don't know if that is, you know, people have that more free time on their hands to be able to, you know, fix up bikes they've been maybe putting in the back in the back corner of their garage and forgetting about for a while. So they're buying parts and, and fixing things up. You probably know more than I would about that is what actually they're buying. But probably new units, I would think probably UTVs would still be the dominant one there. And and maybe street bikes. I'm, like I was alluding to in the beginning there, I really, I'm really hoping there'll be a lot more people buy street bikes just for commuting. You know, like whether or not they're they're doing it for fun or not, you know, like the pure enjoyment of it. I mean, the more bikes we can have on the road, I think it's going to be better for more ways than one, whether it's, you know, easier traffic, saving gas, pollution, whatever you want to call it, you know, like it's inevitable that that those topics are going to keep coming up and up, you know, again. So obviously we're seeing the electric bikes coming, which seems like that's been on a little bit of a pause, but I don't really know what's going on there. But I think once we get through these next couple of months, everybody should be back in you know, a pretty good, pretty normal state, I'm hoping. Hopefully we don't lose a lot of small dealers. You know, that's my biggest worry personally is like we get some of these small, smaller mom and pop shops that, you know, don't have a lot of, you know, disposable cash there where if hopefully they, they weather the storm and we're not, we're not left with, you know, a thousand less dealers when we come through this. Yeah, that's uh would be detrimental to all of us, obviously across the industry. Uh, fortunately for myself, I'm in Iowa, so the motorcycle dealers have fallen into the federal category of auto. So in states that kept or that didn't have full lockdowns, auto, the auto segment and sector were remained open. So we've remained open throughout this. And that's the only explanation I have is we're one of the few things that people can do. Uh, and it's definitely paid off for, you know, being open has paid off. That's good to hear. Yeah, and hopefully then uh, it more of that happens across the nation, and guys like you get to go back to work and uh, keep doing what you do. Yeah, and it you know it, it's tough to you know to talk about the the furlough thing. Like it's it, it's a tough subject. You know, it's it's never easy to swallow when you know, when you know you're something like that happens. But I think for me personally, I was a little frustrated at first, but then the more I thought about it, and I started to see. It wasn't just power sports, obviously, you know, and then you see all these, there's a lot of people in, in tough situations to where it just made me think, you know, I'm just got to count my blessings and be happy for where I'm at and lucky that I'll be able to go back to work and, you know, hold it at that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a life lesson and I've been around long enough that, you know, I've, I've kind of made peace with it, so to speak. And when I come back, I'll be ready to hit the road and doing it again. Everybody wants to see that happen and, and things kind of feel more normal, you know, if I have to wear a mask at the racetrack, that's not a bad thing. I can get away with it. Um, Dale, going back in time, uh, I was thinking back over the years, all the different companies, and you mentioned one I didn't have on my list, which was Cometic, but uh, all the different companies that you've worked for over the year, either in sales or or, or in marketing capacity, uh, you've spent time at Alpine Stars. You were spent some time in Italy, I remember. Uh, obviously, you worked for Bobby at Cometic and um then came over and, and were uh, working for Western and then Tucker when it was Tucker Rocky before the name change. I think you were actually part of that, and now that I think about it. What are some good memories about uh, – t- tell me about Italy and Alpine Stars. Yeah, Alpine Stars is – I kind of attribute that to – that was the – for me, it was a huge life lesson on – the job I was hired for was media relations. And so I was just a young – you know, I think I was 25 then, you know, pretty naive – didn't know anything about the language, just went over there, took the job. And I was at a point in my life where I just needed a big change. And uh, like that was shortly after my dad had passed away. And then 
I think I'd gone through a not a not so nice divorce, and so I was like, I just I need to like just have a change of scenery, and so going over there and not knowing what I was getting into, I think in some ways helped. But man, it was just such an amazing experience. I to this day I still tell. I mean, I could probably write a you know a short short book on you know my experiences over there in Italy alone. You know, just some of the things I went to and got to go to MotoGP. Well, it was that was when they were riding the two strokes. It was the Mick Dewan days. So yeah, going to like Mugello and Saxon Ring in Germany and let's see Jerez in Spain. I mean, it was just it was pretty incredible. Then I'd go to uh, motocross GPs and went to a downhill mountain bike race in France. And so that was when Alpine Star just started into mountain biking. And so, yeah, it was a pretty incredible experience. And I have so many fond memories of it that, and it changed me. I felt like going over there and seeing other cultures, I feel like everybody needs to do that sometime in their life because it changes your outlook. And if you've never been out of the United States, I feel like, man, it's, it's hard to really kind of wrap your head around some of you know, the way people think in other countries. And so being able to experience different cultures, different food, different ways of doing things in general. Yeah, it just kind of opened my mind up. And the other thing was driving around there. So when I first went there too, it was, there was still border crossing. So there'd be times where we'd get to a border and I was with this Italian guy that kind of taught me the ropes, Davide Trolley, his name is. He was a you know Dakar racer. And so he was the rider support guy. And so the two of us would get in a van and drive to all these different races all over the all over Europe. So about the I think it was the second week I was in Italy, we went to uh, the Czech Republic, Bernal, for the uh, 500 G- GP. And so we get to the border and we're like, these guys have machine guns and the other, they're like, no, you can't come through, you gotta pay all these taxes, you got all this equipment in here, what are you, you're probably gonna sell it. So we're like, no, we're here for the race, you know? And so come to find out, they knew we were there for the race because they saw the Alpine Stars on the side and they're just, Davide goes in the back, grabs a bunch of t-shirts, hats, starts handing them out to all the guys with the machine guns, uh-huh. stamp the passports, and we're on to... It's amazing <laughs> we're on, we're how that worked. The yeah, it was, <laughs> it was definitely different over there before the EU, and uh, I, I couldn't agree with you uh, more, Dale. Uh, going over there changes your perspective, and you have to realize when you go over there and you touch a building, it's literally thousands of years old, and you come to the United States, and the, at best, things are hundreds of years old. So, you know, it's the history and the the food is amazing. <laughs> it's definitely one good reason to go to Europe. It's a good way to re- for you to re- hit the reset button for sure. And a uh, great story too. So, Dale, our time is uh, coming to an end here. Um, we really appreciate you coming on and talking about your uh, your history and sharing your stories. I love it. Appreciate you guys having me on. I've, uh, I could talk for hours on this stuff. So anytime you need a guest, I'll be happy to come back on and talk. Thank you again to our guests for being with us today and thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. If you have a moment, also please rate and review us. We really appreciate it. It's how we know we're talking about what you want to hear about. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and pitpassmoto.com where you can check out all our new blog content. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Haverson, Chris Bishop, our producer Leah Longbreak, and our wonderful audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm PJ. And I'm Dave. We'll see you next week. Can't wait to talk racing.
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.